morning, everyone. Have you guys ever heard of this phrase, you can't have your cake and eat it too? How many of you have heard of it? It's a little weird phrase, right? It's like there's a little word play where it says, you can't have your cake, like you can't eat your cake, and then eat it too because you've already eaten it. It's gone. You can't have both those situations. It's usually said to people who want the best of both worlds, like they want the best of both situations, but it's impossible. There's a trade-off. So like you can't move to Staten Island and expect to hang out in the city every night. That's not going to work, right? That's not going to work. You're going to be tied to the ferry or you're going to come back at like 2 a.m. You, uh, you can't move to New York and expect like small town pleasantries. Like I met, I met someone who had moved to New York from another state and he was telling me, he was like, yeah, it was so hard walking here. And I was like, why was it hard walking? And he's like, I kept bumping into people. And I was like, why are you bumping into people? He's like, because I kept looking at them. And I was like, why are you looking at people? Like, you're going to get jumped if you look at people like that. He was like, Tiff, outside of New York, people acknowledge each other. And they say, hi, and how are you? And I was like, oh, well, you can't have that, you know? You can't. <laughs> You can't, you can't move to a city with like over 8 million people and be like, hi, how are you to every single person? You've got to catch that train. You've got to catch that train. You can't have both. So today we're starting our series on idolatry, on idolatry. And we're going to see this passage. We're going to read this passage where there are these spiritual leaders who kind of want to have their cake and eat it too. And we're going to see what God has to say about that. So why don't you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that you have given us this space for the church to gather. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is with us. And Lord, we ask that you would speak, Lord. I ask that I would decrease, that you may increase, that your word may be spoken and that people may hear you. We thank you, Lord. We worship you. May you be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the year is 586 BC. This is over 500 years before Christ. And the kingdom of Babylon is just about wrapping up its conquest of the nation of Israel. And you know the 12 tribes of Israel, most of the tribes have already been taken over. They've already been destroyed by another kingdom called Assyria. All the northern tribes have been destroyed. It's just Judah and maybe Benjamin is there. And Babylon has just about finished conquering them. And they start deporting the citizens. They start tearing apart families, taking all the elite of society, and they're deporting the Israelites into Babylon. So now we have this group of exiles in Babylon. And in the midst of these exiles, amongst these exiles, there's a man who's a priest and a prophet named Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Ezekiel, we're going to be reading from his book today, if you guys could take out your Bibles. Now, Ezekiel, just like uh, Habakkuk, when we went through Habakkuk, Ezekiel is a prophet. So if you remember, a prophet is tasked to speak the words of God to his people. So we're going to be looking at his book. Uh, those online, grab your Bibles. Ezekiel has a huge book, so he's one of the major prophets. Turn, he's after Jeremiah, he's after uh, Lamentations, and then you got Ezekiel. So let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 14. If you need a piece of paper, just raise your hand. I'm going to read it. 
I'm reading from the ESV version, or the ES version. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him. I, the Lord, will answer him myself. And I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people. You shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. And I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear their punishment. The punishment of the prophet and the punishment of the inquirer shall be alike. That the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, declares the Lord God. So this, this passage is recording a meeting where these elders of Israel, these spiritual leaders, they've come to Ezekiel as a prophet, seeking something, seeking, inquiring something. Now, we don't know what they've come for. The text doesn't say. The text doesn't say. Some scholars think that they're probably looking for some good word from Ezekiel, from the Lord, some kind of reassurance that God is still going to restore Israel, that God still has Israel's back, even though what's been happening with Babylon, we don't know. We don't know. That's what some scholars think. But what we do know, what we find out, and what Ezekiel finds out, is that God tells him these men are idolaters. They worship idols. They worship other gods, false gods in addition to me. Now, we know this is absolutely forbidden. This is forbidden for the people of God. Back in the book of Exodus, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the law from God, the very first commandment, you guys have heard of the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. This is a group of people that he had just redeemed from slavery. He had shown his power. And the first thing that they must obey, the first law, is that you shall have no other gods before me. He goes into more detail when he tells Moses, God says that you will not make any carved images that look like anything in heaven, anything on earth, anything from the water below. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not serve them, for I... The Lord God am a jealous God. 
It was very, very clear from Israel's birth, you shall have no gods except for me. How many of you have actually seen an idol? How many of you have seen an idol in the way that I just, I just read to you with this carved image? I just want to see a show of hands. How many of you have actually seen one or been inside of a temple? A temple? I remember the first time I went inside a temple. The first time I really have seen an idol up close. So I was on, a number of years ago, I was on what the church calls like a short-term mission trip, and I was in Western China. And the missionaries there had told us, our task was to go into the temple and go pray for people. Sounds, sounds easy enough, right? But I had never been inside a temple before. So when we got to the place, the temple was on a very high hill. There were like, I don't know, like 10,000 steps. There was a long flight of stairs up to this structure, which kind of looks like a house, but it was completely open. So it's like the shape of a building, um, but without any doors. And inside that temple was an enormous statue of Buddha, an enormous statue. It was, it was like the size of a building. And then underneath that Buddha, I guess, were smaller gods, smaller statues, smaller representations of deity. And there were a lot of people, and they just went to their respective god or maybe to the large Buddha, and they were praying, and they were making offerings, um, making incense. Like It was kind of overwhelming for me. It was the first time I had seen an idol described like the Old Testament describes, like this carved image. Some of these idols looked like animals, like literally animals. You know, one of the most famous idols that we know from scripture is the golden calf. The golden calf, remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the law, the people, the Israelites were getting impatient. They're like, he's taking too long. And if you've read Leviticus, you know why. There was a lot of law. And the people did not want to wait. So what did they do? They started taking off their jewelry, whatever gold they had, and they melted it. They melted. All the people participated. They all melted this gold, and they made a giant cow, a giant cow. And they chose to worship that cow over the God who had saved them, the God who had parted the sea so that they could get to safety. They chose this gold cow that they made. See, idols are very common. Idols were very common. But the way that God describes these elders and their sin is not the way that we just read about these carved images, about golden cows and, and giant statues. God tells Ezekiel that these elders have taken their idols into their hearts taking their idols into their hearts. Now, the, the Hebrew verb that the ESV translates to taken, there's a nuance that's missed. Because that verb in Hebrew, when used in its primary form, means to go up. It means to ascend. So the NIV, the New King James, they translate this, this verse as these men have set up idols in their heart. They've set up. They've raised up idols, and I think that helps us visualize what exactly is happening here. Not that they're building statues that are high on hills, but they've set up, they've raised up idols in their hearts. 
and they're bowing down to them. They're bowing down, they're submitting to the idols in here. And that's the, that's the first point we have in our message today is that these idols are not just external things. Idols are not just statues and temples. And even if you have never seen an idol, you've never been to a temple, you've never bowed down physically to anything in your life, you've been doing it in here. We've been doing it in here. See, idols can be internal. They can reside in our hearts, even if we can't see them. Now, this is not, uh, this is not like groundbreaking news for those of us who know Jesus' teachings. If, if you're familiar with Jesus' teachings, you know that the Gospels record that he, te- he teaches the, the Jewish followers of God. He says that out of the heart is where sin comes from. That sin comes from, out of the heart comes sexual immorality, comes sin, comes slander, comes false witness. Sin comes from in here, from the heart. Jesus taught that if you even look at a woman with lust, if you even look in your mind, in your heart, you're already lusting after her, you have already committed adultery. You've already done it. You didn't have to undress. You didn't have to go meet in some seedy hotel. You've already done it. You've already done it. See, these sin can be inside us and idols can be inside us. In Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, Keller defines an idol as anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart absorbs your absorbs your imagination more than God anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you so that means an idol could be something concrete like a relationship maybe your life revolves around this relationship that this is the relationship that is the pinnacle of your life that you must do everything you can to hold this relationship. Maybe it's a career. Maybe climbing that ladder is more important to you than than obeying God. Maybe it's a political party. Maybe you bow down to the gods of these ideas in culture, in society. It can be something abstract like beauty. Some of us can't leave the house without makeup on. We serve these gods and we don't think a second thought to it. We don't think anything about it. Ideologies, we want to serve God, but we also want to fit our beliefs in in this sociological, in this cultural system. We want to serve this too. See, we don't talk about idolatry as, as a big sin, even though it's the first commandment. We don't talk about idolatry that much in the church. You know, we, we like to talk about maybe more blatant sins, like you're having sex before marriage, you're, you're getting drunk every night, you're partying, partying is a sin apparently, partying every night. Like, these are vices that are already, like, these are already, like, vices in our culture already. Like, getting drunk, like, we have, we have Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, these are vices already. But when we... Put our understanding, when, we're, when our understanding of sin comes from God's word, comes from the things he says, comes from verses like this, which shows us that idolatry can rest inside 
here instead of out there, all of a sudden our understanding of sin expands. And then there are things that society would say is good that actually can be a temptation for sin. So I'll give you an example. Prioritizing your family. Putting your family first. Society would be like, yes, that is what you should do. You are a good man. You are a good wife. Put your family first. Prioritize them. But when our devotion to them when our focus is on their happiness, when everything we do caters to them before the things that God has called us to be and do, that's an idol. Your family can be an idol. I'm sure my kids are an idol. Your children can be an idol in your life. So what's God's response? What's God's response? Anything that we put, anything that we devote ourselves to more than God is an idol, what is God's response to this? So in this passage, God reveals to Ezekiel, he's like, these men have idols in their heart. And then he throws out this rhetorical question to Ezekiel, to his prophet. He says, should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Other, should I even let myself be inquired by them? Should I even deal with these people? These people are worshiping other gods and they've come to me. Should I even deal with them? See, the fact is that God is offended by our idolatry. God is offended. He says that these people have come with the multitude of their idols. They're not just approaching him as blank slates. They are coming with the idols that they have been worshiping. So imagine, imagine a person who has been cheating on their spouse. And then he, he or she, they come home, they approach their partner for sex, but they show up with every other person they've been sleeping with. He has the company of all of his mistresses, all of the people that he's been whoring around with. He's coming to his partner that's what it's like when we approach God. When we have been bowing down to the idols of our society, the idols of our heart, and then we go to him in prayer, we go to him, we open our Bibles to do a devotional, like everything's cool. That's what it's like. So Paul's letter to the Romans describes idolatry like this. He wrote, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped the creature rather than the creator. Worship the creature instead of the creator. See, we live in this culture where everything tells us there's things that are more important than God. Everything tells us this. I think this generation is suffering immensely from the God of social media, the God of of image control, there's a word now, we have aesthetics. I don't even know what that means. We have aesthetics now. We care about our image in these virtual worlds. We care about how we look to people we haven't talked to since elementary school. 
We have filters. I think filters were made by made for moms, by the way. But filters. We're filtering our faces so, God forbid, someone would see that pimple we woke up with. We're picking these captions. We're doing everything that we can to manage our image. Manage our image so that people would admire us, would see the highlights of our life. We're bowing down to this idol, and everyone's doing it, and we don't even know. See, there's, it's, there's a reason why God is offended. How can he not be offended? We're choosing these idols that give us anxiety and depression over him. How can he not be offended? How can he not be offended that we're choosing a gold cow over he who gives life? He's offered us everything, and yet we're choosing these false gods. In this passage, God does not let the idolatry of Israel be the last word. He tells Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to answer them, and this is what I'm going to say. He says, repent, repent, turn from your idols, turn your faces away from these abominations, turn away. In the passage, he calls them, they put the stumbling block of their sin in front of their faces. They put a block. This is what's causing them to stumble, and yet they want to stand before it. Yet they want to worship it. In, this, in another chapter in Ezekiel, he says, turn back from your evil ways. Why will you die, Israel? Why will you die? See, he knows these idols cannot save them. He knows that the cow is a cow. He knows these idols that they worship have no power. So he says, repent, turn away, come back to me, come back to me. You know, one of the practices that's lost in church, I think, is this practice of repentance. And why this has happened, I don't know. Sometimes it's our fault. It's the leaders of the church, the passages that we teach on, the verses that we speak on, the things that we emphasize. It's always the good stuff. It's always about victory. You know, like I was trying to, when I was trying to decorate my house, I was trying to find like verses, like scripture, real scripture to exalt God to put on my wall. 100% of the verses in Hobby Lobby, TJ Maxx, all your favorite spots, Target, 100% were verses that are about us, that are about us, where we are centered. Our theology is centered on us. And we have this shallow understanding that God should be honored to be our God, that God should be honored to be our God. See, no one likes to talk about sin. No one likes to talk about sin. Just like in our introduction, we want to have our cake and eat it too. We want these idols. We want to continue living these lives and bow down to these things in society. But also, God, will you bless me today? God, will you help me today? All right, I got to go check my gram. <laughs> All right, I got I to gotta check TikTok. See, this is impossible before God. This is impossible. You cannot serve other gods and serve Jesus. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. You cannot choose life and choose death at the same time. God calls us to repent, 
to repent. In, in the Hebrew verb, repent means more than saying, oh, I'm sorry, God. It means to turn around. Turn around. Google Maps says turn around. You're going the wrong way. You're going to go off of a cliff. You don't understand. This is going to lead to your death. See, we must repent of our idols before we can expect to have the blessings of Christ. So another word to say it is that our repentance must precede our requests. You notice in this passage, we don't hear from the elders. They have no dialogue here. They have no words here. Their relationship between God has been hindered. God is not listening to what they came for. He's offended by their hypocrisy. In the Gospels, Jesus teaches that if you have an offering for the altar, you've come to bring your sacrifice to the altar, you've come before God, then you remember, my brother has something against me. I had that fight with him yesterday. And Jesus says, leave your offering here. Leave your offering. Drop that grain. Leave that cow. She'll be all right. Go and be reconciled with your brother and then come back. Be reconciled. Deal with your sin. Deal with your idol and worship. See, it's more important that we obey him, that we deal with this, than come and worship in hypocrisy. Then worship in hypocrisy. Does that make sense, church? Does that make sense? So how, how can we deal with our idols? How can we deal? Well, first, we have to identify what they are. We don't all have the same idols in our heart. One thing that might be a temptation to me might not be a temptation for you. So we have to know what they are. And for some of you here, the Spirit has already been speaking. The Spirit has already been revealing to you what are these things that you bow down to before you bow down to God. And some of us have all, always known. They know. They know their poly polytheists. They know that. They are, they've been bowing down to the same idol since before they were Christian, and they just added God on. They know, some of us know, and we've never been called to account for it. We've never dealt with that idol that came with us. You know, it's like going to the dentist. We know we're supposed to go, but we're just going to wait because our teeth rot out. You know, another thing, so we can identify our, we have to identify our idols. And if there's some of us who don't know what our idols are, sometimes maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this idea that, am I not a good Christian? God's the only God I worship, I'm pretty sure. You know, this might be new to you. And my suggestion is you go to God with a humble heart. And this is going to be hard. This is, this, is a, this is a terrifying thing. You ask God, God, forgive me. What have I been serving instead of you? What have I been bowing down to? What have I taken in here instead of you? And I say that's terrifying because God will not lie to you. God will not lie to you. God will show you things, and they might not be things you want to give up. So that's the first suggestion. A second suggestion about identifying as people that you're close to. You know, a lot of times the things we worship are actually really obvious to everyone else. It's really obvious. No one's telling you, but everybody sees it. Everybody sees it. 
So if go home, if you're married, ask your spouse, ask someone you're dating, just be like, what do you think my idols are? Now, Tiff talked about idols today. What do you think my idols are? And then flip it around. Well, let me tell you your idols. <laughs> flip it around, flip it around. So it, it'll be a hard conversation. It'll be a hard conversation, but it'll be a good conversation. It'll be a good conversation. All right, so second, after we've identified, okay, these are the things that I've been worshiping, then we have to start this process of committing to repent. Then we have to start this process of rooting it out and turning back, turning around and giving those things up. And that can be really hard. One thing we can do is ask ourselves, what is causing us, what's feeding this idolatry? Maybe it's our friends. Maybe it's the company we keep. Maybe everyone that we chill with, we all worship the same God. We're all high-fiving at the altar together. We're all bowing down so it seems normal. Maybe there's something missing in our lives that we're seeking this idol for. When I was um, in India, the missionaries told me, so India is mostly Hindu. They, they have a lot of gods, like an infinite amount of gods. The missionaries told me that when you enter a house, you can always kind of tell what the, what the family needs by the, by the gods that they have, by the little shrines they have set up. So if a family was struggling with finances, they'll have a shrine to, a, to one of the gods that might be really generous. Or if you, maybe they have someone who's sick, they don't have the best health, they'll, they'll have a, an offering, a little picture of the god who known to heal who's known to heal. Maybe there's some need in us that's causing us to worship this God. Maybe loneliness. Loneliness has caused many Christians to fall into sin, to, to worship sex, to worship relationships. Maybe stress. Maybe fatigue is causing you, driving you to a God where you're overeating, where you're indulging yourself in comforts. Ask yourself, what are the things that is causing my idolatry and what can I do? Should I get more rest? Should I meditate on texts that show that I am accepted even if I got zero likes on that post yesterday? What can I do? See, it's a hard road to root out these idols. It takes deep prayer, deep self-reflection, honest self-reflection. It takes deep community. And that's something I think we struggle with as well, to confess our sins to one another and to help each other, help each other find fulfillment in him. See, the Christian walk is a hard journey, but I just want to make a final point that we are not without help. We are not without hope. God explained to Ezekiel his purpose for calling Israel to repent, his purpose his purpose, even for casting judgment on him. In the passage, he talks about how he's going to cut off the idolater from Israel. He's going to punish even the prophet who's sympathetic and gives a word. They're going to receive a punishment of judgment, but it's so that he can lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel. Or in NIV, recapture the hearts of Israel. That verb is used in military context, meaning to seize, 
sees back the hearts. God is battling for Israel's heart. You see, God still wants to be our God. God still wants to be, he knows what we're doing. He knows what we're doing, yet he still, still calls us to repent. This is the end of the line for Israel. They're already being judged. They're already being taken apart. And yet he's still saying, repent, come back to me. God wants this relationship with us. He wants us. And if we approach him with humble hearts, remorseful hearts, contrite hearts, he will forgive us. It says in Isaiah... God said, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit. See, the elders who came to Ezekiel inquiring for something, they came in arrogance. They came in hypocrisy. They approached him as if it was okay. Yesterday, they just gave an offering to something else, and today, it's okay. It's okay. See, God does not accept that. That is a heart that God will not accept, but if we approach him, Repentfully, honestly, sincerely, in weakness, God will help us. You know, we live, we are essentially living as exiles in the land of New York. And in New York, how you look, what you do, where you're from, how much you make, all that is really important. That's who you are in this city. A lot of times I think about our city, and I have such a big heart for New York, but I think about our city and I think we have more idols here than Babylon. We have more idols here than Israel. And the fact that we can't see these idols, the fact that it, they're all over inside our hearts, being encouraged by media, the fact that we can't see them makes them even more dangerous. You know, in Israel's history, God, there were periods, they didn't all have bad kings. God had raised up righteous kings, good kings of Israel, who would then, who followed God, and then they would tear down the high places, they would destroy the idols, destroy the temples, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't do anything. <laughs> it wouldn't do anything. They destroyed the physical carved object, the beast, the carved objects, and and the idolatry would continue because it was in their hearts. We don't have the same relationship with God as Israel does. We don't have the same relationship because Christ has come. And Christ has taken that wrath of God away from us. Christ has taken our sin upon him. God has paid for that, those things that we are oblivious that we are doing to God. That offense that we do to God Christ has taken. God told Jeremiah that he is going to give the people a new heart, a new covenant. This new covenant is Christ. This new covenant is Jesus. So I'm calling us. God is calling us. Repent, not for your salvation. Repent so that you can live as saved people, so that you can live as my people. I am your God, not these gods. As we reflect, as we repent, remember to praise God, for he is there. I pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are so good and you are so patient and you love us so much. Lord, we thank you that you know us 
more than we know ourselves. And we ask that you would help us to follow you. Help us to magnify your name. Help us to represent you to those who don't know you. Lord, help us to live so that people may know that you are the true God. You are the one true God. Not anything else in our lives, not anything else that culture says. Father, make us separate so that we look like followers of you, so that your name may be proclaimed, so that your name may be glorified. Your holy name, hallowed be your name, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.